Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk executive producer Rob Perra. Danny will be conducting interviews here every day, talking with experts on food and agriculture, and discussing topics like the impact of COVID-19 on the food system, unsung food heroes, how climate change continues to be a threat to agriculture, and other pressing social and environmental challenges that impact farmers, eaters, and the economy. Today on Food Talk, Danny chats with Nancy Roman, the CEO and president of Partnership for a Healthier America. They discuss their new food distribution initiative, the importance of healthy eating among children, and the ways that industry leaders in the food and wellness industry are responding to a rapidly changing landscape. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Food Talk Live. A reminder that this episode will also appear on our podcast, uh, Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. So please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Before we start with our amazing guest, uh, Nancy Roman from Partnership for a Healthier America, I wanted to say how much I admire leaders uh, uh, like Kwame Rose in Baltimore, Uh, where I live, his leadership to create peaceful demonstrations against systemic racism and inequality and police brutality uh, over the last week in in Baltimore has been, frankly, so amazing and inspiring. And, and, you know, we've had very little uh, violence in in the city. And and I think it's a, a testament to the good work being done by Kwame and all of his colleagues. Um, I also want to encourage folks to read the special issue of the journal Agriculture and Human Values. Um, it's, it's a special issue on COVID-19 um, that the journal put together. And it was recently released online, and there will be hard copies available uh, in September. And they included perspectives from a wide range of food, nutrition, health, and agriculture experts, really from all over the world, including... Um, uh, farmer and educator Leah Penniman of, of Soul Fire Farm in the Hudson Valley. And her her piece, I really think, speaks to the moment that we're, that's unfolding in the United States right now. And it was uh, entitled, To Free Ourselves, We Must Feed Ourselves. And she calls for really five major shifts to address the need for a just and sustainable food system. Uh, and her first recommendation is a call for land redistribution. Um, 98% of the farmland in the United States is owned by white Americans. And she hopes that we can have a nationwide conversation and commitment to share land back so that all communities have the, the power to feed themselves. Uh, she also calls for justice for farm workers um, whose work uh, is now considered essential. And, you know, I think uh, many of us forgot that, that farm workers, their their work is incredibly essential to making sure that we all have food on our plates. Um, she says farm workers need full protection under the law during the pandemic and beyond and a pathway to become decision makers and landowners themselves. Um, she calls for what much of, of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa already knows works, and that's mutual aid societies and collective work, sharing resources and protecting uh, the, the upkeep of the commons are, are indigenous ways that she says will uh, serve us well beyond this crisis. 
Uh, Her fourth recommendation is for ecological humility. And she reminds us that we have become arrogant and uh, imagine ourselves as supreme beings. But ecological humility is essential to our our survival as a species. And again, that's something, you know, that will will go, will serve us well, well beyond uh, uh, COVID-19 and and the uprisings and, and police brutality that we're seeing. And finally, she calls for universal food access with dignity. And she reminds us that without people of color, our food system would come to a screeching halt. And that not only is their labor essential, but also their lives and their knowledge. Um, Leah is is one of the most inspiring speakers we've ever had at a food tank event. She uh uh, hosts a number of conversations on the website for Soul Fire Farm. So please check it out. She turns 40 this week and she's just one of those amazing people who um, are, are taking on these issues in a proactive and empathetic way. Um, and it, it's, again, she's just somebody I admire so much. Um, I get to talk to another amazing woman today. Uh, as I said, Nancy Roman is the president and CEO of the Partnership for a Healthier America, uh, a nationwide nonprofit dedicated to creating lasting change that transforms the culture of food and activity so all children grow up healthy. Nancy, thanks so much for being with me today. I, I know these are turbulent times, and I, I don't know if you're in D.C. or if you're, you're quarantining elsewhere, but I, I'm really glad to see you. Well, thanks, Danielle. It's great to see you, too. And I look forward to reading the piece you were just referencing, Leah's piece. And there's not one of those five recommendations that we don't really stand behind. And, um, you know, it's, it's really critical that those of us in the food space use this moment to think differently and, and to look with fresh eyes at the work we've been doing. Absolutely. There's such a, I mean, we, we've been talking about it over and over again, but it, it really does bear repeating. This is our opportunity to really make some major transformations. And if we don't, we will have missed something that, you know, will never come our, our way again. There will be other global shocks, but I think this has really given us an opportunity to rethink how we do things. Um, I, I'm wondering um, if you could give our viewers and listeners who don't know about Partnership for a Healthier America some background of, about why the organization exists and, and sort of why it's important. Absolutely. Well, we were founded j- just about 10 years ago. Um, In partnership with Michelle Obama and the Let's Move issue, we came out of that, but very much as a bipartisan organization, Republican Senator Bill Frist is a co-chair. But there was a recognition at at the time that when the White House was really working to bring about change that, yes, it would involve policy, yes, it would involve government, but it would also necessarily involve the private sector. And so PHA really... Um, came about as an organization that would partner with the private sector to bring about um, systemic change to food and to physical activity. And, you know, over the years, of course, we've done that in ways large and small, um, partnering with many, many, many companies, Danone to remove sugar from the yogurt, um, PepsiCo, who agreed that two-thirds of their revenue would come from products with fewer than 200 calories. Um, uh, Walmart, who made a commitment to increasing fresh produce in every store. And so 
over the first seven, eight years, seven trillion calories were removed from the food system and literally tons of salt, fat, and sugar. But what we've seen is it's really hard to keep pace with the innovation, the, the junk food innovation and the right. innovation on the bad side. And we really looked and decided, um, I came on board two and a half years ago, and we said, look, you know, we really want to think of where we're having the greatest impact, and it, and it really was on the food side. And so we've narrowed our mission to be transforming the landscape of food in pursuit of health equity. And um, our board rallied around that new vision for the organization just in January ahead of all this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's really good timing. I mean, as you know, Danielle, you can't work in the food space without recognizing that the biggest work to do is to correct the gross inequity. And I, I also agree yeah. with your point earlier, COVID-19 has really exposed that gross inequity. You know, we've seen it for years and decades as we've worked, but it's now visible to the public. So we really do have a new opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. What well, can you, you know, I, I think we, we throw around these terms a lot, or at least I do. Uh, can you describe what health equity would actually look like and, and, and what that would mean for people? Yeah, it's a great question. And health, I mean, you know, the disparities in health are broad and many. Um, and, you know, we've all become familiar in the last decade with the social determinants of health. Um, but health equity, what it would look like is if people had access to the same kinds of foods, the same opportunities to learn about food, the same exposure to nutrition education, medical care, and every other thing so that you wouldn't see what we do see, gross inequity, gross disparities in rates of diabetes, gross disparity in rates of heart disease, gross disparities in rates of obesity that underlie most of these diet-related conditions. And, you know, food is, of course, right at the base of that, right? I mean, food is a tool for, it's, it's a contributor to the problem. And it's also, um, not surprisingly, the solution if we'll harness it. Absolutely. And there's so much interest in in food as medicine right now as we're sort of seeing how COVID-19 impacts those who have diet-related diseases. It, it, it tends, I, the, most of the research has shown that the, the infection is much more sort of virulent with fo- for folks who already have some of these diet-related diseases. Uh, conditions going on. And, and I, I think it's, you know, the understanding that, that food should always be our first medicine. It won't, prote- you know, it won't completely protect us from getting COVID-19, but it does help build the immunity and the wellness that we need to get through these kinds of, of crises. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's another thing that COVID-19 helped expose, you know, that we're all very much now focused on immunity and yes, food and fruits and vegetables in particular, you know, there are 10 foods eating too much or too few are really at the base of diet-related disease. You know, we know what they are, fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, healthy oils, or we should be eating more of, and salts and saturated fats and added sugar we should be eating less of. And um, it's just, it's really time to harness what we already know and, uh, and apply it really in policy and practice and business across the board. Absolutely. Absolutely. We had um, former U S secretary of agriculture, Dan Glickman on 
I, I almost two months ago now, right at the beginning of, of sort of the, the quarantine. And he was describing, and, and also Dr. Dari Mazafarian, who was on the show a few weeks ago, both described how there's so little investment in research and nutrition. And I mean, I, I went to Tufts University, I went to the School of Nutrition, but it is still astounds me that there's, there's so little research in what actually makes us healthy. <laughs> and, and so I'm wondering if you can comment on that a little bit. Well, I love Dan, I love Dari, and um, of course I'd love to see, you know, even more research in nutrition, but honestly, I think the bigger opportunity is to apply what we know already. Yeah. I mean, you know, we do have a pretty solid and deep base of knowledge it, and um, that's very well documented um, about the role that fruits and vegetables in particular, but you know, f- uh, good food in general plays on our immune system, on our health. We also, there's a ton of research showing the connection between food and diabetes. And there's a ton of research showing the connection between food and heart disease. And honestly, I think the the policymakers and business leaders of this country, we really need to apply what we know. And, um, you know, one of the things PHA did, and we'd make it available to anyone who wants to see it, is we developed a candidate's briefing that mm-hmm. out some of this basic knowledge, heavily footnoted, um, you know, but it also, you know, it, it points to, you know, the cost that we're paying in Medicare and Medicaid and lost productivity because people aren't healthy when they could be. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, I love that you're saying apply what we already know. I mean, sometimes, you know, when you research something, to, you know, too much, it, things don't get done because you're so focused on the research. One thing that I have found interesting during this COVID-19 pandemic is that the, the, there's more interest in, in supplements and vitamins and, and those kinds of things. And there's been, you know, just a, a huge uptick in sales, uh, especially of organic supplements. And I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that, because I, you know, that, that's usually those products are bought by a segment of society who have a lot of disposable income and have, you know, sort of the ability to purchase those things. I, I, I fear that, you know, the, the focus on vitamins and supplements could distract us from the need for, you know, producing food that is actually nutrient dense and healthy and low in, in fat, sugar and salt and the things that you mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, vitamins and supplements are so not the problem. I mean, I'm not morally opposed to them, but I, I really would be morally opposed of putting PHA's time and energy into that because right. we need to go about the business of getting basic good food to the people who need it. And particularly now, um, at the time when COVID has exposed the inequity in the food system, um, in light of everything that's going on with race in our country. And I have to say at PHA, you know, we're seeing with new eyes, we, we have always been focused on equity and we've always been focused on getting food to those most in need. And I'd love to have a chance to talk about some of that work. Absolutely. We're really right now recognizing, we have to say it out loud, that the inequity stems from centuries of systemic racism. That's what got us in this mess. And we have to be clear-eyed about it, but then, you know, really go about the business of, of helping this country have a system of access to good food that makes sense. It's in the country's interest, but it's also the right thing to do. 
Absolutely. I'm hoping you can describe some of the those uh, programs uh, for food access that you, you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I, I really would love to do that. I mean, um, you know, Danielle, that prior to coming to PHA, you know, I led the Capital Area Food Bank and and prior to that was at the UN working in hunger globally. That experience really um, helps you to see very clearly the need that exists both abroad, but certainly at, at home in our own Washington, D.C. And um, when, when I came to PHA, we all recognized that there was an opportunity to scale the learnings. You know, my five years there was really spent trying to up the nutritional game at the food bank. And, and great progress was made, and my successor, Rada, is carrying that, that work on. But when, we got to, to, when I got to PHA, we all said, you know, PHA is a national organization. We have an opportunity to scale nationwide what we spent five years of sweat equity learning. And so we have a program where 23 of our food bank partners are really working to, um, yes, get fruits and vegetables into the inventory, but significantly get some of the ultra-processed refined carbohydrates out of the inventory. That's a big piece of what has to happen at food bank level as well. So we've been scaling that work, and um, we have a rich network of food bank partners, and of course we have a rich network of grocery partners. And so when COVID hit, um, I was hearing from both sides, from food banks who were saying that they couldn't handle um, even any basic distribution, certainly not produce, and grocers um, dealing with a broken supply chain who were saying, wow, um, we have all this gorgeous produce that's going to be headed straight for the composter. And there was a real frustration that there was a willingness to give it to the charitable food system, but the charitable food system couldn't absorb it. So we very quickly created the COVID-19 Fresh Food Fund. And that fund, essentially, we thought, we'll take furloughed workers, put them back to work. We did this in partnership with the Produce Manufacturing Association, um, they will pack the boxes of produce and not la- what I call last legs produce, but gorgeous, perfect, whole foods quality produce. 22 pound boxes really meant to serve a family of four, um, multiple servings, three servings of produce every meal, every day for a week. Um, on the whole, 600,000 servings of produce and distribute it for 12 weeks in a row. And the idea is that if you're getting produce, every meal, every day for 12 weeks in a row, you have a chance to begin the habit of produce, which then builds the culture of health. Um, So that was the vision for the fund. Initially, it was to really solve this short-term kink in the supply chain, you know, with food banks having too little labor and grocers having too much produce. Um, But then we started thinking about it, as you were just saying, um, about this moment may never come again and saying, look, we may for six months have this glut of produce and this um, increased demand and incapacity among food banks that sets up an opportunity. But how can we use that opportunity to really look and say, we wanna make a change over the long haul. And we said over the long haul, what we need is affordable retail access to good food. And so um, part of what we're doing that's very exciting is we're, we're providing the digital tools that help people to know how to make a meal, how to use the produce. But significantly, we're gathering the data 
that says, which of this produce do you like most? Which do you like least? What are your barriers? And what is your willingness to pay for this produce after you've received it for 12 gorgeous weeks and lived it and experienced the benefits? And that will be a tool for retailers because I think we need a call to action to get retail in the game of subsidizing produce so that we don't go from free in the charitable system to out of reach in stores that are far away from your house. There have got to be some stair steps in between. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love, you know, I'm a big fan of imperfect produce and, you know, ugly fruits and vegetables. But the fact that people are getting this beautiful produce that that you described, it, it contributes to the dignity of getting yes. these boxes. And I think that's often something that we forget. We're just trying to, you know, uh, sort of like a doctor, you know, heal a wound, you know, because it's an emergency and we forget about the dignity and the empathy and the compassion part of this. And everyone deserves beautiful, delicious produce and, 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 and other foods that make them happy and healthy. And, and I, I have to say, I'm also impressed that you're getting feedback from, from your clients, your, the recipients of these boxes, because I think often it's just like, here's, here's what you're going to eat. And, and eat it and or, you know, th- this is what you get without any sort of feedback from the other side. And, you know, did you did you like that fruit or vegetable? Th- those are really important questions to ask, because if people, you know, tend to eat more of what they actually like or what they know what to do with. Well, I agree with you so much, Danielle, on the dignity point. And um, we launched this um, in Denver three weeks ago. And just last week, we were getting feedback from one of the on the ground distributors with pictures um, and quotes saying that the families receiving the produce were in tears of gratitude. And, um, and I, it's really touching because to get super high quality produce that you haven't been able to get um, it, it really helps you appreciate the extent to which um, people have really not had access. You know it, and then you experience it. And even for someone like me who's been doing this for 20 years, you, you yeah. learn it again. You realize it again, and, and you double down you know, on, on the effort. And the other point I wanted to make is about community feedback. Um, we're also going to be expanding this work into the Mississippi Delta. And one of our core values is to really listen to the communities and the people. And we've been talking about that with passion just over the last week about the best ways of engaging what the community wants and needs and not having all these top-down solutions. Absolutely. I've, I've been in, on a number of webinars today uh, where folks have been saying things like, you know, uh, all, all of the thing we know sort of from, from international development work that you can't go into a community and tell them what they, they need. You have to ask them what they want and having those conversations, you know, it's a, it's a, it shouldn't be a new development paradigm, but it is for lots of folks because, you know, those of us who are sort of well-meaning in, in the food and agriculture world often think we know best. And so getting that feedback and have a, having it be very participatory is, is the, the only way forward. I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that you, you're, the, these boxes are provided over 12 weeks, you know, families and especially kids are learning habits that they'll, you know, they'll take well beyond after the pandemic, you know, uh, dies down or, or we get through this emergency part of it. That, that's a really important uh, process to build those habits early on for these, these families with young children. 
Absolutely. And I think there's some powerful data out there. And I really want to shout out um, my friend, Lisa Helfman, who, who, who founded Brighter Bites, that, you know, there, there is data showing that when you provide produce for 12 weeks, um, that it will drive demand and create demand and people will work produce in, you know, because part of what we really do have to do is reintroduce people. If neighborhoods have been without a a means of getting produce and people haven't had produce, um, there is something to experiencing it daily for 12 weeks. That's a long time. That's a quarter of a year. And then, you know, you really can begin to think, well, you notice the differences in how you feel. And, and um, I, I believe that you actually experience the benefits of feeling the nutrients of the produce. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to get back to your, your point about, you know, um, uh, companies and how they need to change. And when we're talking about, you know, sort of the post COVID uh, way of transforming the food system. I, I, you know, I don't know how companies transform and I don't know how they sort of, you know, do this, this work for, for good, because what I've seen over the last two months is, you know, grocery stores are, are, are making a lot of money. They're not uh, always paying their workers hazard pay. Um, There's a lot of, of focus on, um, you know, so-called comfort foods. I, I I don't know if they're actually comfort foods. I think they're often the the least expensive foods at at um, at grocery stores that people are buying. But you know, they're they're ultra processed usually, um, and people are eating more of those. I, I think during this pandemic. So how how are you know uh, because they've been profiting off sort of a tragedy? How do we get them to transform post COVID? I mean, you were talking about subsidizing produce and getting companies to do that sort of thing. How, how do we, how do we get from, you know, A to Z practically? Yeah. Well, I wish I had all the answers <laughs> that I don't, but I will say that I do believe the grocery industry has been surprisingly without change for a really long time. And now we have seen that COVID is bringing about some change. For example, um, people are using click and collect and pick up. I mean, the grocery industry was working for years to try to get people to take advantage of online without success. And now it made that happen. And I do believe um, there are some opportunities and models on the delivery side, but perhaps greater is an opportunity really for retailers to play a role in helping people find their way to better for you products. Yeah. One of the things that has always frustrated me, and this isn't just, I don't want to call out grocers because um, we have many grocer partners and friends that we work with. And sure. so, but the food industry, a mantra that I hear from it all the time is we follow the consumer. We follow the consumer. Um, if the consumer wants good for you, we'll give them good for you, but we follow the consumer. And I have been saying lately, um, how about leading the consumer? Forget following the consumer. How about leading the consumer? Um, You know, advertising is a big problem, of course, television advertising. But I think in-store retailers have an opportunity um, to, with their in-store signage and even with artificial intelligence and new digital marketing, to really be leading people to better for you foods. You know, we've run a couple of pilots on that. and We haven't gotten nearly as far as we'd like to. 
But I think there are big opportunities there. And um, that's an important piece of our work, too, is part- partnering with retail to affect change. One of the challenges of COVID is they've all been bandwidth constrained. Um, so, you know, they've just been trying to keep their head about yeah. or keeping the supply chain moving, et cetera, as all the restaurant business moved to grocery stores. And um, but I think there will be an opportunity there and one that really should be leveraged. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just, uh, you know, as, as we're in, we're living the moment right now and we're still, you know, for many of us are still in, in lockdown and, and, uh, you know, encouraged not to leave our homes and, and go shopping that often. It just, I, I think there's this real need to have a plan on the other side, whether that's February of, of, of next year or, you know, 18 months from now, I, I really hope that these companies figure out a way to step up to the plate and, you know, not just have, uh, more accessible, affordable produce for all kinds of customers, but also treat their workers better. And so it's it's just one of those things that I'm sort of constantly concerned about as we watch, you know, this the the this this again this real tragedy is still happening. Well, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, it is so true that um, you know. We, we forget who's at the backbone of our whole entire food system at every level, at the farm level, right. um, at the grocery store level. That's something that COVID-19 made clear for all to see is who's really bringing our food to our table. And absolutely, um, we need to pay people, you know, wages that they can exist on, our, our food workers. Um, but I would also say there's an opportunity for retail to innovate. And I think um, one thing crisis can do is make leaders and people think differently and really get outside their box. And I would say if there are any food retailers, you know, listening to this show or this podcast who, who want to partner with us in really trying to provide subsidized produce to people in need, um, we would love to do that. I mean, we've got to innovate and experiment to see what works. And that's one of the reasons we're testing willingness to pay because we know the answer can't be completely on the charitable side forever, but nor can it be, um, here's the price we've tested it in the market and we can make money on this price and the price never budgets. You know, we've got to really um, learn and partner and explore in this critical space. Absolutely. And so if folks want to reach out to you, they can go to uh, a healthieramerica.org or we can, you know, they can go to foodtank.com, get in touch with me, and I can uh, put, put you directly in touch if that's of interest to companies and others who want to support this. And, and I think you're so right, Nancy. We can't go just, you know, not everything should be charitable, but at, people will be out of work for so long because of, of this pandemic that there needs to be some steps um, yeah. for, for all, you know, everyone to be able to access affordable produce and, and make sure that they can live a healthy life. I, I, I'm interested from your perspective, what concerns you most over the sort of the next few months? What concerns you most in terms of how we get food, uh, healthy food uh, to, to folks and, and still, still, still encourage wellness during a time when people are sort of still panicking? Yeah. Well, in the next few months, you know, the hard part is, you know, we've rolled out in Denver, we've rolled out, we're going to roll out in Rochester, Um, you know, but to solve the short term problem, um, you really need 
funds to solve the short-term problem. As you work to a longer-term solution where you hope the supply chain gives ways to new models and new experiments. You know, my concern is that we won't be um, – I think the biggest danger is that we don't leverage this six-month window fully. I mean, I feel strongly that it is about a six-month window. It could be eight, it could be five and a half, but it's not going to be three years. You know, that there's a window here where, you know, you really do have a surplus of food and a surplus of need colliding. And, you know, there's really a mandate, I believe, for us to experiment and try to get it right in this window. Because if those six weeks close and we don't have some new model that we can begin to scale, that would be an enormous tragedy. It would, it would. And I mean, I think, you know, the sort of model that you are already creating is so innovative. You know, you mentioned using furloughed workers to pack the boxes. That's a win-win. You're bringing people back to work who then can purchase, you know, healthier foods. And, yeah. you know, you're, you create this cycle of, of sort of, uh, uh, you know, compassion that that didn't exist previous to to, to COVID. It's a triple win, really, because the produce being packed is produce that would head for the dumpsters. Because, right. um, you know, it's interesting when people are shopping. You know, their pr- grocery stores are selling a lot of produce, but they're not selling that all that would have been consumed in restaurants. So there still is this excess. And I, I really do want to shout out the Produce Manufacturing Marketing Association because they've been a great partner in this. And, um, and, and you know, that's a thing. It takes us collaborating with others to get this job done. No one's going to get it done by themselves. Absolutely. And it takes unusual collaborations. It takes these sort of uncommon players to get together who you might not have, you know, uh, you know, had the opportunity to speak to or work together with before and, and having those conversations. And, you know, I was uh, talking to um, uh, the One Fair Wage folks earlier today, and they were talking about how, you know, restaurants are now reaching out to them uh, because, you know, they no longer align themselves with the the National Restaurant Association, that they feel like they need a different model for for moving forward. So I I think there are all these, you know, unusual uh, and and, and uncommon partnerships that are developing now because of COVID-19. Yeah, it's like when the puzzle pieces are up in the air, you know, you have an opportunity to create a new new picture. And, um, you know, time is of the essence. Absolutely. The urgency has never been greater. And, you know, whether it's COVID or climate change, we have to figure these things out now. Uh, Nancy, I'm wondering who has been inspiring you the most over the last two months? Gosh, you know, I'll tell you who's been inspiring me, my own team and staff. I'm telling you, my own team and staff. I'm going to tear up when I say this, but my team is... um, so smart, so hardworking, so tenacious, so um, creative, flexible, patient. <laughs> um, it's it's really um, a privilege to lead the team. And I, I swear to you, I for a living, I talk to CEOs. I talk to leaders. I mean, that's what I do. I talk to right. leaders all the time. And um, the list of leaders I admire is long. But you asked me who has inspired me most in the last couple of months, and it is my own team. 
That's great. That's great. And tenacity and creativity are what we all need to get through this. Uh, my team inspires me too. We're we're very small and scrappy over at Food Tank, but I want to give a shout out to um, our our content coordinator Elena Seely, who just does incredible work and um, checks in with all of our interns and makes sure you know that they're 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 okay and that you know that if they need time off, they get time off. So it's it's just it's I, I know how important it is to work with really um, incredible and 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 nice and and smart people. So. Thanks for sharing with. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, if people want to donate to um, uh, Partnership for Our Healthy America's COVID nineteen fund, can you give out the the URL for that, Nancy? A healthier America slash donate. Uh-huh. A healthier America slash donate, and and we would really love support. You know, fifteen dollars packs a box, so it pays for the wage for the worker you know, to pack the box, the produce in many instances is being given or subsidized. It's a 22 pound box of produce with 50 servings of produce, gorgeous produce. And it's going right now. I mean, maybe even today in Denver to families, we're headed to Rochester next and we will roll out in more cities as we can afford to do so. So I really appreciate the opportunity, Danielle, and um, anyone who wants to make a difference can. That's amazing. We'll have uh, the URL, that website available at foodtank.com and on our social media. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I want to remind folks that this episode will also appear on our podcast, Food Talk with Danny Nuremberg. And please join me uh, for our next episode when, uh, when I'll be talking to Mark Oshima from Arrow Farms. Nancy, please stay well. Thank you, Danielle. You too. And thanks. Thanks. It's great to see you. And, great to um, see you. Let's yeah. keep in the good fight and um, hope that we have a more equitable, fairer, better food system and country going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care and onward. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.